Pulp MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I wanna say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas. It is Sunday, February 27th, 2022. Last night we had the Arlington Supercross, so we're at halfway of the series. And we also kicked off the first round of the MXGP series in Great Britain at the MXGP of Great Britain, Matterly Basin. So we'll talk about that a little bit as well. I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Pirelli Tires, Plum Creek Funding, Guts Racing, Fast Foundry, Works Connection, Pro Glow Wash, got to see Ryan from Pro Glow on Friday, Grant Stone Boots, and of course, Fly Racing. Thank you to all of them. And please, if you're going to buy anything in those spaces, maybe you need a new Pro Launch Start device, reach out to Work Connection. You need new graphics or seat cover, anything like that from your bike, reach out to Guts Racing. You need to refinance your house. Maybe you're in the market to buy something. Rates are only going up right now. That, that's, we're in a cycle where you're going to get higher and higher rates. So you need to act if that's on the horizon for you. So reach out to Plum Creek Funding. They're expanding and adding new states. They just uh, actually broke into California uh, with Zach Morris and his team have uh, some new networking opportunities in California. So that should open up a whole new market. And just uh, make sure you don't wait too long because uh, we're almost at 4% and, and it's only going to get higher. So you may, you may miss your window if you, you stall from here. So thank you to all the sponsors. Uh, Fly Racing, of course, which is why I'm in Louisiana as well. Can't forget those guys. But the racing this weekend was pretty chaotic, right? It's typical for Triple Crowns. I mean, I feel like that's part of the, the, the allure of Triple Crowns is you get so much racing that you get a little bit chaotic. You know, the... The pace of the racing picks up because it's half the, the length. It's more racing each race, but the length of them is half. So guys aren't as tired. They're pushing. They're, they're more in sprint mode than they are trying to conserve themselves a little bit for 21 minutes for the 450s. And we saw some, some aggressive moves, some, uh, you know, some, some more chaos in the results in both classes. And I genuinely was pretty, you know, interested and excited and entertained throughout the entire night. We've had some boring main events lately. And you could even say that Glendale had some boring main events. There was chaos there too, but some of those main events were pretty boring. I didn't get that feeling this weekend. There were, there was just a lot happening. That 250 class, I mean, it's wild as hell. Like what else are you going to say about it? Uh, Jet Lawrence showed a little bit of youthful exuberance there making some mistakes, making some questionable decisions. And he really hasn't been doing that. And I have been pretty vocal about it's astonishing that he hasn't been. He just looked like he'd been there and done it before. And for a kid that's only 18, you don't see that very often. So this was kind of more of the typical 
you know, the typical moves you'd see from an 18 year old, the riding a little bit out of control, crashing when you don't really need to, trying to rush things. And I think you'll figure it out. I think this was the aberration. Like this was the anomaly. Uh, I think you'll see him get right back on track at Daytona. Doesn't mean he's going to win Daytona. You know, I think J-Mart will be great there. But it means that he will be back to the normal, predictable, calm Jet Lawrence. And it really started off, you know, it was right out of the get-go. You see him get the whole shot and you're like, well, here we go. He's going to run away with this thing. And then he crashes in the second corner. And that actually, for probably most of you as well, really hurt my Pulpamax fantasy first to the finish line. I had him and he missed it three times in a row. I was pretty pissed about that. But he just crashes, you know, seemingly for no reason, loses the rear end going into a corner. And I just attribute it to getting into too much of a hurry. He wasn't being his normal patient self. And I think that created a snowball effect for him that he never really recovered from. You know, he got... uh, out of, you know, off of his game in that first one. And then it was just kind of this rinse and repeat throughout the night of mistakes and rushing it. And that causes more mistakes. And then you get into this panic situation. And I think if he had not crashed that first time where he just crashed all by himself in the lead, I think you would have seen a totally different night for him. So we'll see what Daytona brings. I'm nowhere near ready to press panic or freak out or anything. Uh, Thankfully, he's okay from that crash with Austin Forkner. It's a bummer for Forkner because he is not okay. And yeah, just a really bad deal. You know, it was, it was Jet's fault. Jeff hit the tough block, shot back right. It wasn't intentional, but it doesn't have to be intentional. You know, sometimes things happen and Jet made a mistake. He was all over the place that entire lap. So, you know, I've gotten DMs and emails from people, you know, wanting to condemn Jet and coming down hard on him. And that that's fine. I, I get it. Uh, Austin Forkner got hurt in the process. So if you are a Forkner fan or you're part of his team, or I, I totally understand your side. I'm not there. I, I think he got a little erratic. He was pressing the panic button a little bit and he made a mistake. And unfortunately, Austin Forkner got hurt in the process, which is to me the biggest tragedy of this deal. You know, watching Jet make mistakes and be all over the place, just trying to move forward. To me, that was pretty entertaining. He was really, really impressive during those moves forward. He was making some really innovative passes. And then he just, I think he got a little bit out in front of his skis. He just pushed it a little bit too far. So I haven't heard exactly what's wrong with Forkner. It's a bummer no matter what. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure Jet feels terrible about it too, right? And I got a couple of people asking me like, if this was like, am I going to condemn him like I would Freezy for it? No, <laughs> this wasn't. This wasn't the typical, I'm doing these moves on purpose from Jet. That's what Vince does. Vince does those moves of full, you know, body and mind. Like he is deciding to make those moves and cross jump and get aggressive. That's not what Jet doing. Jet just got a little out of control. Those are two totally different things to me. Uh, Intent goes a long way uh, when determining my opinion. And with Jed, it wasn't, there was, there was no intent. He wanted nothing to do with Forkner. He was trying to get the hell out of Dodge and get away from him. Uh, he just clipped that tough block going up the face of the jump and it shot him back. Right. And unfortunately Forkner had nowhere to go enough about that. I, again, um, if you want to hate jet for those moves, you have added, I'm just not there. Cameron McAdoo was your winner though. Pretty impressive day for him. You know, it was, it was the day that you'd really think that 
Jet was going to have, or I did anyway, right? The calm, you avoid the mistakes, you avoid the drama, and oh yeah, you end up looking up at the end of the night and you have the win, right? And, and don't forget, he was still tied with Jet. There was a three-way tie going into, two-way, three-way, going into the final to see who was going to win the overall, and McAdoo got it done. He got the start in the final race. You know, Jet actually had the whole shot. He crashes again in the first corner. And McAdoo just kind of rode off into the sunset. So pumped for McAdoo. Really nice kid. I like to see him do well. I like to see him riding more within his limits and getting it done. So congrats to him. Congrats to his family, his team, Nick Way, everybody that's a part of that program. Uh, that, that's the way it's supposed to be done. J-Mart, he had that one crash on the, you know, passing the mechanics area there, which was totally his fault. He got too close to, uh, I believe it was Jace Owen in front of him. And yeah, I mean, you can't run into the back of people, right? You have to be predicting and assuming that people are going to be in your way. And you have, you know, like you have to be thinking ahead of if this guy does this, what's my move? And he just got it wrong. It, it happens. If you're constantly having to move forward throughout races, that stuff happens. Look at Eli Tomac at Minneapolis. If you are always having to move up from the back, you're going to guess wrong about where somebody goes eventually. And that's what happened to J-Mart. He did do a great job of recovering. He was able to get back to third in that race, which was, uh, you know, it, after all the drama between uh, Jet and, and um, Forkner there, like that helped him for sure. But he rode well and recovered well. And it's still there, right? Everything's still in front of him. Nothing has gotten away. And now, if you remember a week ago, this podcast I was talking about for, for J-Mart, he needs to make sure that the championship doesn't get away from him. He can't wake up after Daytona, even with a good result in Daytona, and be like, damn, I just had my best race. The track says that's probably going to be my best, and I'm down 12 points. That, that was what I feared for him. And if you were looking for him to be the champ, that's what you didn't want to happen. Well, that's probably not going to happen now because you got this gift from not only Jet, but also Austin Forkner's out too, and he was ahead of you leaving Minneapolis. So you don't look a gift horse in the mouth. I'm sure that J-Mart wants to just go out there and beat these guys straight up, but you got to take it when it comes to, because you may have a rough night. You may have a crash that's not your fault, and you're going to need these good nights to offset those bad nights. I touched on Forkner there for a minute. I think he's probably done. I think he's injured. I don't have any info. I've been, you know, a few people have hit me up today. I just don't have any clarity on it yet. Maybe tonight when we do the, uh, the Racer X or Fly Racing Racer X review pod, uh, maybe Wygant or Mathis will have something uh, clear on that as far as official. I just don't happen, happen to have it. Either way, brutal turn of events for him. You know, we were talking all week about what a, what a turnaround for him, what a bounce back from a really rough year or two. Comes out, gets second at the opener, looks great at this race. Maybe not good enough to beat Jet. So what? He was still in the mix for a podium. And then, bam, you're likely out for the season. So just horrible. You feel bad for him. You feel bad for Mitch Payton. Um, it just, when it rains, it pours, man. It's just a bummer deal. Hampshire, same thing. Uh, no different, right? And this has been the narrative with RJ, though. It's like, dude, you got to stop crashing. You cannot be in any championship contention on any level or just consistently in podium contention if you're going to crash this much. It's going to catch up with you. He's, he's really been fortunate to not be hurt more if you look at how many times he's crashed over the last two, three, four years. 
it got him again last night, right? He has a big crash coming over that tabletop jump, trying to scrub it. And I don't know what's wrong with him, right? He definitely was not wanting anything to do with his motorcycle. And then he didn't race the last one. So if I had to guess, he probably rung his bell. I don't know for sure. But it was enough to keep him out of the third uh, race of the night. And then now, what does that do to a season? Pretty much out of the championship. You know, he'd, he'd have to come back and be perfect the rest of the way. And I don't think he's good enough to do that. Like, he's not going to just consistently beat Jet and J-Mart and McAdoo. Like, not, he can do it once or twice, no problem. Like, I think he can win, but he's not going to do it every week. That's just not going to happen, right? He's not head and shoulders better. I don't know that he's even good enough to win two races. Do you, you know, he could win one because things go your way. You get the start, all that stuff. But championship is what all these guys were thinking coming in. And now two races in, two of those guys, two of the top five that we were all talking about championship, they're out. Forkner and Hampshire, for me and my championship consideration, they're done. That, my opinion doesn't mean anything, but... I would tell him, like, dude, it's, it's, championship's pretty much over. Like, you can't give up that many points in this short of a series. So that's kind of where I'm at on the 250 class. I think it's wide open for the other three, though. Jet, J-Mart, and McAdoo, it's all there. You know, who wants to be the best guy? Who wants to be the most consistent? And who wants to get those race wins? It's what it's going to come down to because now you're narrowing it down. And just what happened in the West, the same dynamic where you start losing the elite guys it gets harder to make up points because you don't have enough depth to differentiate. Like, look at J-Mart in the last one. He crashes, you know, down the start straightaway, doing 20 miles, 30 miles an hour, and still able to get up and get third because they are so much better. And that's going to be the status quo moving forward. It's going to take some sort of dramatic incident for these guys to not be able to get back into the top five. Well, what does that mean? That means you have to win races. You have to maximize points every race because there's not going to be that wide range of uh, variance, right? You're not going to get a 12th out of these guys because there's not enough depth for it. Like they're either going to get last or they're going to get top five. To me, that's pretty much how it's going to happen because if they're hurt or their bike breaks, they'll get last. Any other interaction, a tip over, even a bigger crash, look at Jet. He still got up and was running around like in the, you know, in 10th with a beat up bike, you know, he crashed his brains out and he was still 10th. So it's just, uh, it's just kind of the nuance of these 250 regional classes. Moving to the 450 class, we do the power rankings on this podcast. And again, for those of you who haven't listened a lot, you know, there, there was a, a thread on Vital MX about this podcast and people freaking out about my rankings. And I, I did forget Mookie in there on accident. It was totally just, uh, I, my mind went blank. I was in my car trying to navigate things and, uh, yeah, I just blew it. So the Mookie thing was an oversight, but don't freak out. These are fluid power rankings, right? And they're just simply my opinion. I take week to week results. I take big picture stuff that I'm looking at year to year and the trends that I think are still going to develop. So like Webb, everybody was freaking out that I still had Webb in my top three, leaving Anaheim three. And that's because I felt like he was going to turn it around when we went east. Now, did I think he was going to start reeling off a, a bunch of race wins? No, but I thought podiums were probably coming. I thought they would figure it out. I thought the dirt would help. I thought the smaller whoops would help. And he's, he's just relentless. He 
is so mentally strong and tough, I thought he would sort it out. Well, guess what? We're two weeks later, and what do we see? We see a better Cooper Webb. He got a podium in Minneapolis. He got a podium in Arlington. That's what I thought he could do. Now, was I positive of it? No. But I just felt like he would figure it out. And these tracks, this dirt, the change in climate would help him. These things are working for him. All those first rounds, the Anaheims, the dirt style where it's really slippery, huge whoops that were getting tougher by the lap, all that stuff worked against him. Those things were not, you know, if you're trying to make a checklist, like pros and cons, there were a lot of cons on the Cooper Webb checklist for those first six rounds. Well, guess what? As we move to the east, those cons turns in, turn into pros. And Daytona could be the outlier. We'll see how he does. But you get into Detroit. You get into Indy. You get to Seattle. You keep going, right? And it's more and more of the same. You go to St. Louis. You go to Atlanta. You go, uh, where's it after that? Foxborough. These are all the same things. They're going to be the same type tracks that are great for web soft dirt smaller whoops that end up you jump through them find some sort of rhythm even if you blitz them they're really easy to blitz like they were at arlington that's what cooper webb does well he thrives on it he finds confidence his starts get better his weight in the race laps get better his racecraft is beyond reproach we all know how great that is so that's my justification for why i've kept webb in this thing and I just wanted to make I just wanted to give some clarity on that because I didn't even get involved in the in the thread. I didn't, you know, I'd rather defend myself here than try to type it out and then everybody gets, you know, people are so easily willing to take pot shots on Vital. I just like, nah, I'll just talk about it on here and kind of explain it. So at number 10, Dean Wilson. And you know, I'm a big Dean fan. I've known him for a long time. Um, you know, one of my best friends, Paul Parabinos, was his mechanic. And so I was around him a lot, especially when he was younger. And I, so I've always cheered for him. Now, I think Dean is doing okay, right? He's being consistent. He's getting top 10s. I don't think that his team is necessarily upset with those results, right? You want your guy in the top 10. You want him to stay healthy, stay on track. But I think he needs to be flashier. Like he needs to get good starts. He needs to put in a few laps at the front. That's the only way he's going to get better. Riding around in 10th, you don't really learn the pace of the guys in front of you. You don't get more comfortable being around Webb and Tomac and Anderson and those guys and find that rhythm because he's capable. He has the talent. He may not be riding as well as them right now, but the only way to fill that gap to where they are is to be with them and see what they're doing and, and get that intensity because that's what it is. They are riding at a different level of intensity than Dean is right now. And it's just a it's just a nuance and a part of the sport is some guys have it some seasons and some guys can catch back up. Like you see Webb getting better. That's kind of what Dean needs to do. He needs to take steps towards that. So nothing wrong with what he's doing, but if he wants to get Closer to the front, he's got to take baby steps towards getting there. Number nine, I have Ken Roxon. Listen, I don't know what he's doing out there. I don't know what to make of this. It's not good for Roxon. You tell me the last time you saw him riding around outside of the top 10, time after time after time. It's really bad. We talked about it at our Dallas uh, Pulpamex live show on Friday night. It's got to be confidence. He doesn't have confidence in the bike. He doesn't have confidence in himself. We had Andrew Short on, and for those of you who don't know, him and Andrew Short 
really close friends for a long time. They're not as close now because Shorty's not around the races, but he knows him well, right? He knows how Kenny's mind works. And he kind of echoed the same thing where he's just not there mentally right now. Like his confidence has completely left the building. And I don't know what it's going to take to get it back. I really don't. Because you watch him ride and you can see him put in fast laps. Early in the day at Arlington, he was so fast. And then it just like slowly wore off. And then the races came around and he was nowhere near competitive. It just wasn't there. And it's so strange to me because this is one of the best riders I've ever seen in my life. You talk about talent and ability and technique and he does everything right when it comes to racing a dirt bike. It's not there right now. And I don't know that it's coming back. I don't know what it's going to take. Some, he needs to sit down, maybe a sports psychologist. Maybe he just needs to snap out of it. Maybe he just gets a start one night and runs away with the damn thing. And, he, and just like that, like me snapping my fingers, he finds his, his groove back. But I can tell you that it's missing. No matter what, I can, I can definitely tell you that. Number eight, I have Marvin. And these, this is where it starts to get dicey, this eight to four, eh, maybe eight to five range. Because it's really fluid. These guys are up and down, good results, bad results. You don't really know what to make of their ride sometimes. And that's kind of where I'm at with Marvin. Like, I think Marvin can podium every time he lines up right now. Then there's other times where he goes backwards, and I don't have any clue why. And the first race was just like that. I think he was winning the damn thing. And then he is, all of a sudden, I look up, and he's just getting passed, and he's getting passed, and he's getting passed. And I don't understand why. I don't really get it because I know Marvin is better than that. I know he struggles in the whoops. I get it. So maybe he was just getting blown by in the whoops. I didn't, you know, I wasn't watching just him. I was trying to watch the race at the front, Mookie and all these battles that were going on. But I can tell you that that's my reasoning for Marvin being at eight is because he's just getting pushed around. They're pushing him to the back. And Maybe I'll move him, you know, if he goes out there and gets second or third over the next couple weeks, maybe I'll move him back to five or six. But for right now, getting pushed around like that, I feel like eight is fair. I really do. Seven is Ferrandis, and this one's tough too. I don't know what to do with him because I think he can, I think he could win. I really do. If you gave Ferrandis a whole shot, I think he could win almost every time out there, at least be in the battle with Tomac and Anderson. That's the pace he has. But his starts and his first lap, racecraft, absolutely suck. He's terrible at it. He's never at the front. And then when he, when he is, he doesn't do anything with it. He just like, and I don't know if it's a fast twitch versus slow twitch thing, like where Roxon is just so explosive at the beginning of the race. Maybe Ferrandis is the opposite of that. And I don't know him as well. I haven't been watching him for as long as I have Roxon, but he just seems to really struggle to get going at the beginning. And the tough part is, is those guys he wants to race with, even Tomac, right? He's been better about it. But Anderson, Mookie, Webb, Roxon, those guys, typically, by the time Ferrandis gets the engine running, they're gone. Like, they are, they have checked out. And that's the number one thing holding Ferrandis back. His early lap positioning is problem numero uno. And if he doesn't ever figure it out, I don't know that he's ever going to find sustained success in Supercross. It's just that simple. Number six, Justin Barsha. This one's tough too because you see him get out there. He's in second in that first. He gets second in the first race, almost wins the damn thing. And then the rest of the night was bad starts. 
And this is not a Justin Barsha type scenario. He was, and I went back and looked because I've been kind of pushing this, whether it's Pulp Show or whatever review pod, talking about these starts from Barsha have been so uncommon, just very atypical for him. You could almost always count on Barsha getting a good start. He's so consistent with it, his technique, he's confident with it, and that's been missing. You know, the first one was good, and then the second and third race, he was 10th on the end of the first lap, 10th place. That's not Barsha-like. So I don't know what's going on. I, uh, I asked Will Hahn about it, and he kind of you know, said they're working on it, shrugged his shoulders, said they've been changing gearing, trying to fix that. But it still seems like it's just not there. You know, Something has changed, though. And, and it's usually bike setup. Like, he wants, like, like Will mentioned with the gearing, he wants it better for you know, seat bouncing three, or it's better in the whoops, give him more over-rev, or something like that. Like, there's a reason why he would change the bike around on the track. And then now it seems like they're realizing the starts are just too critical. Like they have to sort out the starts because it doesn't matter if you like the bike on the track. If you start 10th, your results are going to suffer dramatically. And that's just kind of where Barsha is. Number five, I have Mookie and I almost put him for almost. And I think he may end up there. Uh, but I think at five is fair. Uh, he got dirtied by, by Anderson. You saw, you know, their Mookie kind of pushing Anderson. I don't think he got in trouble for it. I mean, it was intentional, right? Like he's trying to get back to his bike, but he obviously pushed Anderson on his way and you felt bad for Mookie, man. Like he was so close to winning and that's been the next step, right? He's been on the podium. He's been running around the front and you can see the progress coming. You see him getting better. And a lot of those things I said about Dean Wilson, where you just have to keep putting yourself in good position to take those baby steps forward. That's exactly what the deal is with Mookie. He's doing it though. Like he is enacting everything that I would want to see from Dean Wilson. And if Anderson doesn't clean him out, maybe he pulls off that first race win. You could tell Anderson was a little quicker. That's why he got aggressive because he needed to make a move. Uh, but it was kind of a stupid move. Like Anderson didn't have it. They were going to make heavy contact no matter what. And I'll get to Anderson, but I, I really felt bad for Mookie. But it's getting better. Like I really like what I'm seeing from Mookie. Just continue down the path you're going on. Number four, Chase Sexton. He goes four three five for fourth. Consistent. He wasn't good enough to beat. I don't think Mookie straight up or Anderson or Tomac. Right? Anderson and Tomac both passed him. But when you look at his night coming off of, you know, the concussion protocol, everything that went right and wrong at Minneapolis, I thought this was an okay recovery ride. You want to just get a solid result on the board, get the momentum back, get some confidence back, and take that into Daytona and beyond. You don't want to have another big crash. You don't want to have another big setback. You need to get some points up on the board. And, and if you want any shot at this championship, you just got to get some continuity here, get you know, take away that bad memory of Minneapolis and have something to kind of propel yourself from. And I, and I think that's fine. A fourth overall, of course, you want to be on the podium. Uh, but I, I thought it was a fine ride where everybody was kind of questioning if he was going to race at all. Fourth place overall is pretty good in that scenario. Number three, Cooper Webb. Touched on him earlier quite a bit. But I still think something's missing. As much better as he's getting from the California rounds, which were awful, He's still not quite there. Um, he's just not the same level he was at 2019 or 2021 comparatively. 
Now, that doesn't mean he's not going faster than he did in 2019, right? I don't know that, right? The sport continues to get better and better. The bikes get better. The riders keep improving. So it's not about whether he's going faster than 2019 or not. It's compared to the level that you have to be at because Jason Anderson and Tomac and these guys are at a better level, certainly a better level than that than they were back then. So it only matters who you're racing against now. And he's just not quite there yet. Can he get there? I don't know, right? It's like 1%. He's so close. And if the tracks stay this way where the whoops are pretty easy, the dirt's pretty soft, we keep getting this winter weather, I think you're going to see Webb close that gap down and he's going to get a win pretty soon. It's coming. I, I truly believe it's coming. Number two, I have Anderson. And I think he deserves to be second. He has ridden so damn well. He made a horrible decision with Mookie. I stand by that. I don't think that was the right move. I think he could have found another way around without putting himself in jeopardy. And that's really the part I don't like is, listen, you're in a championship battle. You're three points out of this thing going into the night. You can't make a move where the likelihood of you crashing is really high. You just can't do it. You can't afford to take that much risk, right? Because even if he wouldn't have won that, if he gets second, in that first race, that's okay. That's that's fine. You take every shot you can at Mookie within reason, and if it doesn't get done, it doesn't get done. Mookie's not really a threat to you, and you have three overall races to get this race won. Remember Glendale, you tossed it away there in the first round there too. That's, to me, he's not learning from that. Like, going into this Glendale, after that huge crash, going into, excuse me, Arlington, after the huge crash at Glendale, that should be on your mind. Like, hey, I can't throw it away. I can't do anything stupid because I cost myself a race win. Like, he could have gone on into the final race at Glendale with a chance to win the overall. He could have gone into the final race at Arlington with a chance to win the overall. But guess what? He blew it. He did something dumb with Mookie. And he, he got, you know, cross and jumped off the track at Glendale. That wasn't as much dumb as it was just a mistake. This one, I, I just don't think was a smart decision. I, I just don't. That's my opinion of it. I don't think he was ever going to make that pass relatively cleanly. I think best case, Mookie goes down. Worst case, they both go down. And it was a worst case scenario. Having said all that, all the bad, Anderson is riding phenomenally well. He is a bad, bad dude. This is the best I've ever seen him ride, period. End of story. And I commend him for that. You can see the hard work he's put in. It's showing up on every single Saturday. doesn't matter if the track's soft, hard, whoops are easy, whoops are difficult. None of that matters. Jason Anderson is great right now. So the only thing that I have to really be critical of is the decision-making. If he doesn't clean that up, it's going to cost him dearly. That's my prediction. He either figures it out or it costs him a lot more than it has so far. He's going to get like a 15th in a main event because something's going to be broken on his bike or himself where he loses a ton of points. Because if you do that time after time after time, it catches up with you. Just like we've seen with other riders. We, we were talking about it with guys in the 250 class. If you continuously make bad decisions, you're going to pay for it. I, you know, I alluded to that with RJ Hampshire. You just can't crash over and over. You just can't make questionable decisions over and over without it being costly at some point. So that's, that's it with Anderson. If he, if he finds a way to minimize that, he takes this championship all the way to Salt Lake. I, I truly believe that. I've seen enough at this point to think he can take this thing all the way. Number one, 
Eli Tomac. And he's been great, man. He wins another one. What else can you say? He's a triple crown master. Uh, you know, he wasn't quite good enough to beat Anderson in that final one, but he didn't, he didn't have to, you know, it, it was, it was good enough to get the overall win. And you know, he realizes that. So there's this push pull going on for Tomac in that last race, right? He wants to win. He wants to beat Anderson because there is a mental battle going on and he wants to establish that mental edge with Anderson because every single time Anderson beats him, he gains confidence in a heads up battle. Tomac doesn't want that. So he wanted to get him there, but he's also weighing the, I've got the overall win here. I'm the red plate holder. I don't need to make this pass to get the win. The points are going to be the same whether I get him or I don't get him. So there's a lot happening there underneath the surface between the mental game and then the reality of the situation. The mental game matters. You don't want Anderson to feel like I can beat you straight up. Because for years, make no mistake, everybody has feared Eli Tomac. In a heads-up battle, late in the race, you don't want to see the number three behind you. You just don't. That's Anybody would tell you that. I think the same thing goes for Webb in Supercross as well. But period, across the board, indoors, outdoors, I don't care where you're racing, you don't want to see Eli Tomac behind you late in the race. So as Anderson works through that process of a few more times, he holds him off like Anaheim 3. We go into this race this weekend, he holds him off again. That luster, the shine of Eli Tomac starts to come off a little bit. The fear factor, the intimidation, the just overwhelming feeling of he's going to get me eventually. Like, right? There's that sinking feeling of like, damn it, he's going to get me. I can't hold him off. That starts you know, to come down where Anderson's confidence starts to go up. And that's what Tomac doesn't want, as I mentioned. And it's, it's a really powerful force. So I, I really believe there was kind of someone on each shoulder for Tomac in those last few laps. One side screaming at him to go get Anderson and make the pass at all costs. And then the more reasonable side on the other shoulder telling him it doesn't matter. You've got the overall win. Don't do anything stupid. We're thinking championship. So that's to me how I was watching this play out. It was a great battle, right? And the end, Tomac wins the overall. But I do think there is something to that, uh, that mental war within a race, right? There, there's a constant battle for confidence and mental supremacy between these guys. Because let's be real. These guys are all champions. They're all really great and you know there there are not many riders that can intimidate them they are the alphas of this class especially this year so when you get the alphas in a you know heads up battle like that it's, it's really something to watch and, and I really like to get into the psyche and the, and the kind of the underbelly of those battles because it's not just guys turn their brain off and they're going as fast as they can. Like there's a lot happening. These guys are thinking really quickly and there, there are thoughts going through their mind as these races unfold as well. And that's kind of what I was alluding to there a little bit as well. Uh, I did want to mention uh, Shane McElrath had a nice bounce back ride, gets back into the top 10 after a really, really rough couple of weeks. Uh, and he was kind of my honorable mention for the night. As far as predictions go, I still have Tomac winning this thing. But I don't think it's going to be easy. Uh, I think he wins Daytona, which will give him a little bit more of a cushion. And it will be critical for Anderson to step up and get on the podium at Daytona. I think he can. I don't see it being a huge problem, but he's got to get it done. He can't give up a ton of points here. He can't have an off night at a different style racetrack 
and get a sixth. He just can't afford to do that. You can't give Tomac 15 points, 20 points, or whatever. That You need to keep the pressure on. You need to make sure that you stay in Tomac's head and you just want to you want to be breathing down his neck at all times or get the points lead, right? If you can get wrestle the points lead away, that's great too. But you just want to keep the pressure on and that means single digit points and be battling with him or ahead of him at every single race. So we're going into Daytona. As you all know, it's, it's kind of its own beast, right? It's uh, the dirt is like super dark. It's sandy corners. It is longer lap times, you know, like straightaways from like Baton Rouge to New Orleans, you know, long and all these rhythm sections. It's just its own animal as far as a race goes. And the results can vary a little bit because of that. So we'll see if we get any sort of shakeup because of a different style racetrack or if we just get more. Is it, you know, it's just, just more of the same. Uh, but it's, you know, my home race, get to uh, see all family and friends and everything. So I'm excited for it. Thank you to everybody for listening to this. Thank you to all the sponsors, uh, Pirelli Tires, Plum Creek Funding, Guts Racing, Fast Foundry, Works Connection, Pro Glow Wash, Grantstone Boots, and Fly Racing. Thank you to all of them for being a part of this thing, and we'll catch you next week.